You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to Geeks radio.com or searching geeks radio on itunes geeks radio is a presentation of Endlight entertainment welcome to pop off my name is justin and with me today i'm gonna do one of those like intro things where like i i build you up a little i um, demand carmina barana as my yes. background music i don't know what that is oh never mind it's fine. Uh, that's a, that, okay good now i'm embarrassed and the show's only just started <laughs> wow that's it's off to a roaring start right um, there. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Um, with me today is, uh, I could give you his resume. I've done that before. If you listen to Arthur Rowan's little bit over on uh, Acting in New York, over on the Ninjas vs. You podcast, you can hear all of that. So I'm going to skip his professional resume. Suffice to say that um, uh, a god at the uh, Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, as well as having just played King Arthur in the National Tour of Spamalot, um, and he um, also is uh, a guy that I met doing Romeo. No, no, um, much, much ado about much nothing. Ado, which talk about circular. The very next project by Joss Whedon. Oh, I see what you did. Is there. much ado That's about right. nothing. Wow. But um, that's fate right there. Arthur, as my friend, has uh, has brought friendship into my life, has brought lots of wonderful things into my life. But when he goes home, most of those things are just things with me and Arthur. There is something that he brought into my life that has made an astounding impression. And that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And so today we are starting. I don't know if if Arthur's going to be here for the entire retrospective, but part one of our Joss Whedon retrospective on Pop-Off, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, So, uh, hi, Arthur. Hi. I got to say, I'm incredibly honored that you waited to tackle Buffy and Joss Whedon in general uh, until I had a chance to make it down here. So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Well, I have a lot of things I'm fans of. Um, I'm a fan of. If I were to use, you know, English, um, but I would say that that if you were to take the four most influential things on me that I'm a fan of Star Wars, mm-hmm. look around uh, Star Trek, definitely um, uh, Kevin Smith and yep. and the works of Kevin Smith and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, that, that, that's um, about right. And uh, I did not want to like this, man. No, it was uh, it was it was hard. Uh but I'm ju- I'm stealing Arthur's phone because it looks like mine. But I'm stealing it because here. Can you enter a passcode real quick? Oh yeah, sure. I would love to be able to. I, so occasionally. So here's something funny. I were do. I am working our, my way with Kelly through the uh, through the Harry Potter series, mm-hmm. and um, we did the last one. I didn't really pay attention. I was kind of inaccurate about some of it, and uh, I was called on it. So I'm going to have in the background here, if you don't mind pulling it up, actually, it'd be great while we talk. Um, the Wikipedia page for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, sure. would be good to have before I start really absolutely everything Yes. Up. However, um, I would, uh, I mean, there's also the, I should probably preface this yeah. uh, with saying, actually, this ties into how I got you to watch the show in yes. the first place, which, as I recall, was not by saying, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing in the world. If you have yes. any taste whatsoever, you need to watch it because I have found... a uh, 
I should say I've been a geek all my life. Yeah. Um, I love all things geek. Um, and if there's one thing that's always bothered me, it's if somebody gushes about something too enthusiastically, it kind of makes me not want to watch it. Um, if I remember with you, I said, here's the deal. Watch the first season of Buffy. Actually, watch watch until halfway through season two. You said you said the whole first two. I said the whole first. All right. Watch um, watch through the first two seasons. Uh-huh. And if you don't like it by then, then that's okay. It's not a show for you. And, you know, I won't even mention it again. That's well, you funny. actually took it a st- step further, sir. Did I? $50 you offered me. I offered you $50. And you didn't have $50 back then to no, offer. No, no, I did not. I was and even poorer than I you, am now. You, yeah, you said, you, you, said, you said $50, but what you're buying with your $50 is that I can't watch season three. Oh. And you said, I can't see what happens next. Oh, my God. That was good. Um, wow. That was me? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That was you. And, and well, I think you knew how to get me. The way to get me was to challenge me. <laughs> so, okay, so here's the thing. I'm a Star Trek fan, and I have been forever. And Star Trek is, is one, they, their effects were incredibly expensive and really, really, really top of the line, especially then when, when uh, and this was right after Buffy finished, but I was a big DS9 fan. And, and they had absolutely the, 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 the cinema, like, like theatrical quality effects on the show. Um, Whereas Buffy had clearly less expensive effects, um, they were sciency. This was all fairy tale kids stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they were about adults. This was about kids. They were they. Well, the name certainly doesn't help it. Either. Yeah, they were, and I had seen the original movie. They were the other people that I knew that were fans of Buffy. There were a lot of girls and English teachers, and you know. Um, you know the one guy who said Joss Whedon would be writing Shakespeare if he lived back in those days mm-hmm. um, and I was like this is is all frou-frou touchy-feely people crying there's a the Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, logo occasionally has a heart on it just not for me and you challenged me and I watched the first two seasons and uh, then um, well we'll see we'll talk about what happens I am going to um uh, start off with a brief history sure. of what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is. And I'm going to start with the 1992 film starring Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, Paul Rubens, Rutger Hauer, and Luke Perry. Luke Perry. Luke Perry. Pike, I think. Was um, okay, so the names are not always as original as they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, God knows I don't like the names in Buffy at all and would never name my family after them, um, as I have. <laughs> um uh, so Buffy the Vampire Slayer from Wikipedia is a 1992 American action comedy film about a valley girl cheerleader named Buffy who learns that it is her fate to hunt, va- hunt vampires um, starring Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Yes. Um, uh, in, Here's the best thing about that film. In the, in the first Pee-wee, non-Pee Wee thing that I had ever seen. Um, uh, Rucker Howard, Luke Perry and a then unknown Hilary Swank. Um, oh my God. And in an extra role in a basketball game for two seconds, Ben Affleck. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I should say I haven't seen that film since I first saw it like 20 years ago. So. Yeah. Um, so uh, they say it's a moderate success at the box office, but received mixed reception from critics. The film has taken a different direction than its writer Joss Whedon intended, but several years later, he was able to create the the darker and more acclaimed TV series of the same name. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, where I'm going to skip down really quick. Uh, there's a section here that says continuity with the television show. Uh, and I'm kind of going to gloss over the fact that the two 
They were li- sort of linked. They live, but there there are definite differences between yes. between the but but not just in the tone, but between the events of yeah. of the one versus the other. Is actually in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics, there is a retelling of Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. <clears throat> Interesting, including the character of Pike and everything, mm-hmm. but the way Joss would have intended it. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's way cool because um, it, it sort of gives you a. I must have read that one. I need to go back. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a reinterpretation of the same script mm-hmm. that that includes elements like Angel watching it happen and stuff like that. Right. So um, this is going to be uh, the first of two parts because we're probably going to take about an hour and a half to record this whole thing, and at some point in the middle. I am going to cut out halfway through and you're just going to hear my voice, not Arthur's because I will make the choice when I'm editing going and that's the end of part one. And then you'll hear, uh, you know, seven to 10 days later our beginning of part two. I was thinking about separating out Buffy and Angel into two different series and I just don't think I can do it in a podcast. I think they need to be discussed as sort of one one oeuvre yeah because if because if i did an angel podcast i'd be jumping back in and repeating We'd be jumping back. i mean i think yeah. we should definitely start with buffy yeah without a um, doubt and then let angel organically grow up yes that. as it did mm-hmm. um so uh your impressions of the film you did you see the film when it first came out i did i was uh i was oh god i must have been like 11 or 12 or something when it came out um i enjoyed it because i was 11 and 12 year old um i haven't seen it since then but from what i remember of it um i remember there was enough moments in there while I'm sure there were a few plot twists and things that Joss didn't like that were clearly studio choices there was enough of Joss's personality sure yeah um the uh, I mean oh my gosh the epic Pee Wee Herman death scene uh getting staked and then and the dialogue the... if you rewatch it now you'll recognize yeah his his fingerprints all over it mm-hmm. yeah I think the uh I saw the the one memory that I have from that entire movie is the is uh, Pike waking up in the middle of the night and his friend, who's just been turned into a vampire, floating outside the window. And he's like, come on, man, let me in. And Pike's like, D- dude, you're, you're floating. Go away. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the, that is is the sort of what Joss does, um, specifically in Buffy and Angel, somewhat in Firefly, definitely in Avengers. Very much um, so. It's sort of the incredible, amazing things happen and everybody treats them as mundane. Yeah. Um, he challenges the tropes. Yeah, it is. It is the it is the the personal relationships where things matter. It's the stakes where things matter. But the fact that you know in Avengers, the fact that Thor is a god doesn't impress. You know the fact they, they talk about actually they talk about the fact that as a god he came in the movie Thor and the effects of that. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of the plot of the Avengers. Right. But at no point does anyone kind of go. You know, with the exception of one line by Black Widow where she goes, these guys are basically gods. No one ever kind of defers to the fact that that's weird. Yeah. It's just sort of, that's just sort of what is. What is it, the, the one line from Captain America? Man, there's only one god and he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> um, so I also saw the film when it came out and I loved it. You know, when it first came out, I had nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, I was younger, but the concept is something that I really oh, dug. That it was about someone who when they became the superhero they didn't stop being the someone they were before and that's a huge thing i'm a huge marvel fan and marvel is filled with bruce banner becomes the hulk and then his whole life has changed Mm -hmm. and peter parker becomes spider-man and it destroys his whole life and the thing i liked about the movie that is actually one difference from the tv show is that she continued trying to be buffy she was as much buffy as she was a vampire slayer and so the one thing that i dug from the movie 
um, was that she still talked the way she talked, acted the way she acted. She didn't go undergo a fundamental personality change. Mm -hmm. She just kept being who she was, and she was exactly what the title sells you as. Valley Girl, Warrior. Warrior. Same time. Well, I think the... uh, I just realized I should warn you now. I'm going to... uh, um, I'm probably going to use a whole lot of stupid esoteric terms uh, through this, but I think the... uh, What kind of term? No, I'm kidding. uh, Yeah, the... um, there's something called a major dramatic question. Yeah, um, I learned it in uh, my playwriting class, my playwriting class in college, and it was. Can you say that again? But say it a little, say, my, say it a little more frou frou, please. Yes, uh, well, I learned that in my playwriting class while I was at the College of William and Mary when I was <laughs> learning uh, the 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 oh art of crafting the plays. Oh my goodness! We learned gracious. about this thing called the major dramatic question. <laughs> Quite uh, the major dramatic question is essentially it's. It's usually something on a deeper level than just oh is such and such is the hero going to kill the bad guy? It's what question about life or th- what grand theme is going to be answered by the end? Um, and I think the big major dramatic question to Buffy was, can you be a superhero? Um, you know, somewhat you know, and still have Buffy the movie at this point, uh, or overall? I guess over. I, you know, I even apply it to overall. Can you be a superhero destined for? world savage um and still be able to live your life and still be can you be a slayer of vampires and still a normal high school girl uh sort of and And that is and that is and that is the question that is ultimately i would say that that is the dramatic question through the third season of buffy and why maybe some people started bailing on the fourth i would actually say that it, it was a major dramatic question that stayed throughout the entire season and was answered very well in the finale um but we could get yeah, to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so the movie, like we said, moderate success. The one thing I would say that it did is it did invade the public consciousness. I would say that after this movie, the name just got known. So at yeah. that point, I know a ton of people, even before the show came out, that if they had never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you said Buffy, they would go, Buffy the Vampire. Yeah. They would know. They wouldn't remember remember Slayer necessarily, but they would remember there is Buffy and Vampire and it goes together. Mm-hmm. So in a movie that only makes $19 million, still, you know, everybody knew the name Buffy the Vampire Slayer and had an opinion about it. And and I would say specifically among the people who did not see it, a negative opinion yeah. about the movie. I mean, no matter what, it's a very memorable title. Um, so the the we're going to flash forward to I, I mean again when here your phone locked up you put a, you have a passcode on your phone i yeah, should I have a passcode i should put a passcode city i have a passcode on my phone really yeah plus it's only got like five percent left on it anyway, oh so. so um at some year or we in could, the 90s here's the thing we could also just say we are both people who love buffy a great deal we don't know everything about it with encyclopedic knowledge so if we say something, if it were star trek i do but yeah that's probably yeah. true yeah so if we say something that's incorrect and you know that that's not correct. We'll defer to your. We're just a couple of Xanders, that. man. We're, we're just, just a couple yeah. of Xanders. It's it's. We're not Gileses. Yeah, we're not Giles. Let's be clear. We're not Giles. We're not Whistler. We're not even you know Doyle here. We're we're a couple of Xanders. So just know that going in. That's a nice way of putting it. Thank you. Thank you. I thought of it <laughs> a moment ago. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so flash forward. I think to ninety seven. I think it came out in ninety seven. About then, yeah. Um, there's this new show. Starring soap opera actress Sarah Michelle Gellar, mm-hmm. um, uh, was it Folgers Coffee? I think it was like a Burger King commercial too. I think for when, when she was a when she was a really young kid. 
Um, but I'm talking about Giles, who's oh, Giles, best right. known as being the the oh the God, ongoing right. yeah. the, the ongoing dramatic like soap opera within coffee commercials from the mm-hmm. '80s, which I do remember. Yeah, I remember them, and absolutely him, um, uh, and a couple of other relative unknowns. That by the time I saw it. Um, the most well-known person in it for me was Allison Hannigan from American Pie. You're right. Yeah, she was really the breakout um, because of what she did with a flute. Um, and and allegedly, uh, so that is that is the show that I rejected. Now, the reason I rejected it, like I was mm-hmm. saying before, is that that I I like to think now that now that I have some space and distance, I realize that Star Trek is by no means based in science a lot of the time, <laughs> but it felt like it was. Mm-hmm. It felt important and Buffy seemed trivial and every time I turned it on it just seemed like everything on Buffy was trivial. oh there's a robot I watch I watch Star Trek and it's about galactic politics galactic empire and and yeah. and I watch Buffy and it seemed I would turn on it's a musical episode what I, that's bullshit I'm not gonna <laughs> watch a show that has a musical episode that's that's if you pardon the term that's retarded <laughs> you know I just I wouldn't do it and and I just sort of rejected it on, on principle. Now, for you, where, where, when did you get in? Did you get in while it was on the air? No. Um, well, sort of. I got into it, I think, at the very beginning. Well, I got into it when FX started playing reruns of it. I think it's 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock at night. And that just happened to be when I was home, and I would start watching. I think some of my friends had started watching it. Um, this was, Season 7 was about to start. So literally, I watched the first two seasons of it. Like, and God bless FX; they actually showed it in order. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's hard um, to believe they're owned by Fox. I know, <laughs> but uh, we'll get there, Firefly. We'll get there. <laughs> Wait for it. Um, so I watched it. So I was like, I f- I think I'd finished about like season two when season seven started, and by then I was hooked on it. Um, when season seven started, so I actually, I think I ended up watching like. Season three and four concurrently with season seven, then went back and watched season five. To be completely honest, I don't think I actually finally watched all of season six until until after I had until two years ago when I yeah. got my, when I got my fiance because you it. you read you read the episode like I knew the episodes yeah it was sort of the which is an intro okay so the day I met Arthur the very first day I met Arthur there are two things about him that I remember that he did so boldly one uh, he had um, a Palm Pilot. And with that Palm Pilot, he had a fold-out keyboard That's right. that, that impressed the hell out of me. Two, he openly, when it wasn't his turn to be working um, on, on what we were working on, the play we were doing, he was openly reading a Star Wars novel. I, don't, I still don't see why this was such a big deal. Well, here's the... I didn't know anybody who... First of all, the keyboard was cool, but so nerdy. So nerdy. So nerdy. Loved it. The fact that you read a Star... I had read the Timothy's on Star Wars novels, but I like put a th- cover of another book on them. <laughs> Um, I was no, I was not as balls to the wall geek as I am now. Um, but you were open about it and I started talking to you about the films and, and you know, the, the new trilogy had not been done yet. Only episode one had come out mm-hmm. at this point and you kind of said, yeah, I kind of like the films, but you were really into the books <laughs> and I'd never heard of this. I'd never heard Like, like it was like the books were, 
in my opinion, the 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 substandard stuff that you got because it's all you could all get. you could get. There's yeah. nothing else you could have of it, so you might as well do this because you like the universe and you'll take you'll take C level because A level's not available. Well, let me be clear now. I loved the original trilogy and I loved how, but I also loved how the books just sort of expanded upon it. It was it was a lark. Um, and so and so those two things said that you were a guy that I wanted to know. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> So it totally makes sense to me that having read the episode guide would be enough for you. Yeah, I, I think for me it was frequent, and part of it also was at the time I'd had enough people tell me that season six was not a great season, which I um, totally disagree with. Which now. actually, since I finally went or got around to going to see it, I was like, ah, oh, this was this was fine. I don't know no. what people were talking about, um, but no, it's true. For me, once I've read the story of something. Um, I mean, to this day, I still haven't seen most of Angel season four. I know everything that happened in it because I just read episode. Because, again, that was one where also I watched that one out of order. But for me, once I've read the story of something, it's not. And I know that's not the best way. Parts to do of it. Angel season four are very, very good. Mm-hmm. Not all of it is. Yeah. We'll get there, too. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where we were when, when we met you. You were a fan, but you had a weird way of watching it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was resistant to it mm-hmm. um, and I guess you did to me what was done to you is you said you got watched the first two seasons and got hooked now, much harder to do it this time no Netflix streaming this was sure you had to, I think I had one did I have one of the DVDs series to listen I, to? I think you had season one. No, I know. You know what? Season one and season two were both available really cheap one Christmas to That's buy. That's right. They were. The only way to get them was to buy them. I don't think Blockbuster mm-hmm. was even offering them for rent yet. Right. Um, so I got them, made the bet, watched mm-hmm. them. So I think we should just jump in to season one. Mm-hmm. Of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sure, uh, I'm not going to be able to go episode by episode through every season, but I yeah, can how tell do you, you. How do you normally do these things? Do we um, normally take it by season? There is no, nor- there is no. I've never done a TV show. Oh, really? this is usually this is a movie podcast mostly, and mm-hmm. I've never done a TV show like this. But this is, you know, mm-hmm. we just sort of I do see. I guess I could do episode by episode. Yeah, my my mind's probably going to flip to some of the great highlights of the, the highlights of the show. But, it, and uh, and to be honest, we could go. I could do. There are Buffy podcasts that go one episode at a time, and mm-hmm. I could do an hour on every episode. I really could. There's enough there. Oh, absolutely. Um, but as an overview, season one uh, starts uh, with Buffy Summers arriving um, in what is supposed to be at this point in continuity with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is she has burned down the gym of her previous high school. She arrives with her mother, who is now estranged from her father, to Sunnydale, California, as the new girl at Sunnydale High, mm-hmm. um, where she immediately uh, uh, meets Xander Harris, yep. uh, nerdy Xander Harris, Xander Harris's best friend, who we never see again, um, or even talk about that ever existed, who's, who skateboarded around with the group, who was the other guy in the group. No, wait, no, Xander was the skateboarder. Then he was another dude. He was Xander's. He was another member of the group. Well, the reason why he was never seen again was because he was turned into a vampire at the end of the first episode. But you, but he never even talked about. We never talked well, yes, about. Yes, that's true. Yeah, he is. No, he was like. I feel bad for that guy because people. Well, let's be honest. Most of the people who died in Sunnydale kind of just sort of that became part of the conceit. Was it just? But he felt like he was one of these guys. He felt like Mm -hmm. like he was one of the key members of the group that that Buffy was joining that would later be known as the Scoobies. Mm -hmm. Um, You had uh, you had Xander Harris, uh, uncomfortable, nerdy. One thing I never got is that he he's a really good looking dude. Mm -hmm. Um, So the whole I'm the nerdy guy. Yeah, he's dorky, but he still was like so clever. (laughs) And so he was like TV dorky. 
You know, he mm-hmm. was the most clever. He was, um, I mean, let's call it what it is. He's a Chandler clone at first. Oh, absolutely. He's supposed to be Chandler from from friends. I'm incredibly nerdy and dorky until I take my shirt off. And 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 I at the same time have the the funny quip. Yes. You know, I am I am I am the way that we excuse anything that's weird because I will make a joke about it so the audience doesn't think that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um uh Willa Rosenberg. Yep. Um young absolutely powerless and heterosexual Willa Rosenberg <laughs> um who is crushing all over Xander Harris. Yes. Um adorably quirky. Um, who has the, a very strange cadence of the way she talks. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I assume that if you're listening, you're a fan of Buffy. If you're not, if for some reason you're just a pop-off fan, she is uh, on How I Met Your Mother right now. Yep. And um, I, you, have, um, you have Rupert Giles, who we just know as Giles at this point, the librarian, the mysterious librarian who is, who is obsessed seemingly with vampires. Um, you have Cordelia Chase, um, who is the popular, rich, posh, very rude, and sort of the anti-Xander. She also mm-hmm. is the is the commentator. Well, I think the important thing with all this, too, is you have a lot of high school archetypes. I think one of the reasons why I loved the show so much is not it wasn't just a show about people, even interesting people, fighting vampires. It was a high school show. Yeah. And there are certain things, because for better or for worse, people have memories of their high school years. You have the popular girl. You have the dorky class clown. You, and I think the show very deliberately courted these archetypes. Now, as the show progressed, those archetypes became twisted and the characters became deeper. Yeah. But at the beginning, it was very, it, I mean, it was, it was almost stereotypical. We meet, uh, we meet um, Christine Sutherland. We meet uh, Buffy's mom. Yes, Joyce Summers. Joyce Summers. Um, uh, we realize she has an estranged relation, an estranged relationship with her dad, who is supposed to come and visit her and doesn't mm-hmm. on time and doesn't like he's he is not a very good father. Um, the mother is is uh, a professional in the art world. She she is kind of just trust that Buffy is just kind of going to be able to do what she does, but is not as involved as Buffy would like. We meet Principal Flutie, mm-hmm. who is um, well aware, and this is an important thing for Buffy, is well aware of Buffy's history yeah. and does not trust that she's not going to be a troublemaker. Not at all. Um, and you have Buffy, who at her previous high school, and I think this is the biggest change from movie Buffy to TV Buffy. At her previous high school, she was well liked everybody knew her everybody liked her she was a member member of the cheerleading squad that's right she yep. was a she was cordelia the popular girl minus the snark mm-hmm. minus the meanness minus the cruelty um and cordelia is you know is clearly like like she was mean girls before mean girls existed yes um and so the the what you have is you have this suspicious principle this group of friends including one snarky girl who who doesn't like you a mom who is who is not as involved as you want a dad who doesn't see you you have a girl who is entering a situation that's very very lonely Mm -hmm. and i think that the other theme that permeates the show a lot all the way through is loneliness i could see that yeah and from the moment you meet her every relationship she has is lonely which is why she develops a surrogate family Mm -hmm. um on the other side of the coin, you have the master, who is the who is essentially the he's Nosferatu is who he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He's he's live he's been trapped mystically beneath the streets of Sunnydale because Sunnydale is on. Here's the other conceit of the show: a mouth into hell, an opening into hell, the hell mouth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's where you are when you when the show starts up. Yeah. Um, and it's it's such a great way to begin, I think, because you you are the loneliness is palpable. I think so. The uh, I mean, what first grabbed me about the show, I, I I agree, the concept is it's very fun. It's it's not just that the I mean, the concept is kind of grabbing in and of itself, but it's it is a con, it is a concept that can spawn multiple multiple one-shot episodes yeah which is really what you want for a tv show at the beginning something that can something that literally um the start the star trek the next generation model yes it's, exactly which is like, instead of going to a new planet and ooh, what quirky thing are we gonna find yeah. here so what weird thing came out of the hell mouth this week yeah um but what really grabbed me about it is right off the bat the very first scene of the very first episode um which i don't even remember it's what grab it's okay so Again, I'm the hostile audience. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Arthur is said to watch. This, okay, yeah, and he's and I'm like I don't want to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I want my fifty dollars. So so here we go. We start off the very first scene of the very first episode, and there's a girl, a breathy blonde girl. Yes, named, now of course now it's all coming. Back yeah, to me. a yeah. breathy blonde girl. Her name is Darla. Of course it is because mm-hmm. she's a breathy blonde high school victim, and there's a real seedy guy who's leading her into the shadowy parts of the of the high mm-hmm. school. And she's looking around, making sure like, like trying to see if there's anybody around, noticing that she's alone. She goes, "Are you?" sure we're alone or sure we're alone are you sure and he's like yeah and you get the sense that he's predatory and then she goes good turns into a vampire and she kills him mm-hmm. first scene that's right of the first episode first and it goes we are turning your expectations on their fucking well i heads. think that's and that's that is one of the things that makes a lot of joss whedon's work brilliant is that a he knows the tropes he knows every storytelling convention every traditional storytelling convention. The next thing is that he essentially lets the audience know that he knows it by frequently twisting things around. But what's great about it is the few times that when he actually does things according to how they are done, he does them incredibly well. It's like him saying, hey, look, I'm about to give you, you know, I'm about to give you the tormented love trope. I'm saying this ahead of time. You know that I see, you know, you see it coming, I see it coming, and it's still going to be incredibly powerful when it arrives. Um, but, you know, but then he'll turn around and just when you're expect again, just when you're expecting one thing to happen, he'll do a complete twist. Yeah. And the big thing for me, it's the, the characters, especially the protagonists, are not stupid. You, at no point... If, any, if one could criticize the show, it is almost that they are all too smart yes they don't they're do, all genius level they, brilliance. and not i wouldn't even say they're genius level brilliance it's the fact is when somebody is chasing you in a house how many horror movies has been don't run upstairs run out the front door in interestingly Buffy, interestingly where that was most clearly exemplified was in scream 2 when mm-hmm. one when the character of cc is going to run outside the house but she's trying to call the cops at the same time the phone goes dead so she goes back in the house is yeah. chased and killed but cc who is played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw, but I'd throw the, that in right but there. But I guess that's the thing is that, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but in Buffy, the characters never run upstairs. They almost always run out the front door. Yeah. They make smart choices. They make common sense choices very frequently making references to how the other choices would be dumb. Like, what makes the show great is not just because it makes good storytelling choices, but in a way, it mocks and riffs off of 
the bad storytelling choices that are traditionally made. I'm going to reference Avengers a lot of times because I don't want to spoil this for people who haven't seen the whole show. Oh, okay. I'll be, I'll so, be, oh, oh, so we're doing a no spoilers. No, no we're not. We're going to spoil the hell out of it. But okay. I just I want to be able to go spoilers. But, you know, mm-hmm. if someone wants to rewatch with it, I just feel like okay. there, there's the best example I can see of this is is in the Avengers, which we I got to assume at this point, everyone in the world has seen. Mm-hmm. Statute of limitations is done. Yeah. When Tony Stark faces off against Loki, Loki says, are you going to try to appeal to my humanity? And Tony Stark goes, no, I'm going to threaten you. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, right at the beginning of the of the conversation. Everything is just put right there in front street. Yeah. Just like here. This is exactly mm-hmm. what is going to happen. Yeah. And especially because Loki essentially says, oh, are you going to do the thing that most heroes in this story normally do? Uh, I mean, he just puts it right out there. And and instead of just having Tony do something se- different than that, he says, mm-hmm. no. This is exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I and I think that's what the, it's exactly what you're talking about. Joss lets you know either through the action. He's winking at you a lot of the time. He's distancing mm-hmm. you with the wink. So you feel like you're emotionally safe <laughs> as he <laughs> distances he screws you. you and, and then he rips your heart out of your chest and does a dance on it. Yeah. The, the, the happy dance of joy, which <laughs> would be performed by Joss. Yes. But we'll get there. Um, so. Through the course of the first season, it's very much Monster of the Week. But the Monster of the Week, what I love about the show and what the show is, is every monster is an allegory mm-hmm. for for what it is to be in high. That was the point to be in high school. Yeah, that was the point. Is that is that the monsters that you face in high school, they turn into physical monsters because in the show. Even in normal high school, everything feels like it's life and death. That's yeah. why high school shows have so much potential to be so compelling. Even for people who are out of high school, because we all remember what it was like to live in a time when emotions ran that high. What I realize is I become more relatively aware of the passage of time and years pass so quickly. You mean getting older? High school seems like it took a really long time. Yeah. High school seems epic. Forever. It seems epic. It doesn't seem like almost high school has passed since like Spider-Man 3 came out. Yeah. Like it's been high school and a half since Mm -hmm. then. That's bizarre for me. It's been a high school and a half since Doctor Horrible. Yeah, that 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 blows me away. How can that possibly be? High school was uh, twenty years. You know, I was in high school for high school was half of my life. Yeah, I know, and and yet I continue to explore the relationships with my high school friends. Mm-hmm. The people who emotionally affected in high school are still emotionally affecting me today. Things that were said in high school, not middle school, and not college. Mm-hmm. High school. Yeah, whatever it was about there. Still, as an adult, I'm affected by. I wonder if high school is an almost uniquely American construct, um, those particular four years. But, yeah, I mean, even if it is, there is They do is say just, that adolescence is a, is a particularly 19th through 21st century construct. Yeah, there, but there is just something about it. It is... I mean, honestly, it's almost like a drug to me how fascinated I am by the dynamics of people in high school some not just the the kids but the teachers as well um huh. everything's higher stakes there um i mean the poor you know i know several high school teachers i was a substitute teacher for a few years um to be completely honest um at some point in my career i could see myself enjoying teaching high school but i mean for the teachers i could see you teaching high school um well yes <laughs> um they uh i removed enjoying i don't know what i did that <laughs> oh i see what you did there very clever um but the uh you know, you've got the relationships between the teachers and the students. You've got the relationships between the teachers and their parents. And Lord knows the parents can get just as overdramatic about their kids as the, uh, you know, as the kids can get. Sure. Um, 
it is it's an environment that fosters that yeah it is an environment where there are multiple sides to every to every issue but every single side is running at such a fever pitch of intensity that i mean it's it's literally a real life soap opera every day and here's the thing about high school on any given day in any high school in america someone had sex in that building someone yes. did someone was physically assaulted in that building they were they were something that if it happened at the mall would be in the newspapers something that if it happened at a restaurant would be in the newspapers that's and yet, a good point yeah in the high school it's it's people are physically assaulted and the cops don't come mm-hmm. um no one comes to save you the assistant principal breaks it up and you both get detention yeah it's you know which means you're stuck in a room with the person who did the physical yeah. assaulting and the I, I, I'll, I'll take that even further the i would say on an emotional level in high school in any given high school on any given day someone has literally just felt like their life is over yeah and someone has literally just felt like oh my god this is the best thing that's ever happened to me my sure. life is perfect and 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 you can feel both those things in the same week in the same week yeah because i got a solo or i got a blow job or i got a mm-hmm. you know i i got into a college versus i got broken up with or i got a c and i'm gonna get grounded or mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a date to the prom. It's just, it, it's so, just the, the, it's sex and, and pain and violence. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you are learning what it is to know the adult, not just how to be an adult, but to know the things you're expected to know as an adult in math and English. And, and you're supposed to know how the world works when you get out. And one th- but one thing I would also say, and I think, come to think of it, I think this is another reason why Buffy is a particularly good, high- Buffy may well in fact be the best high school show I've ever seen. I think seen. Canadians would argue Degrassi against you, but I will, I'll, I, ha- I haven't, I haven't seen, seen Degrassi, it, I so haven't I seen enough but, of it, but, but a, I've heard that a lot. Um, but the reason why is because for the most part, just because you're a high schooler whose emotions are running at fever pitch, that does not mean you are dumb. Exactly. There is no one better at telling when a teacher is spinning bullshit. Am I, am I allowed to say that? Fuck yeah. All right. Fuckity um, fuck fuck. Let's get it out there. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Good. Um, the, uh, there's Maybe no I should have put on the language warning before <laughs> I said that. Do that in post. Um, there's no one better at telling when a teacher is spinning bullshit than a high school student. And the thing is, for the most part, the characters in Buffy, um, they're not dumb high schoolers. Not at all. They are prone to massive flights of emotional trauma, but they are as smart as actual high schoolers are. Yes. Um, if not smarter. I would, I, would, yes. I, I would, again, venture to say mm-hmm. that the characters in there, if not smarter, then infinitely more clever but cunning. cunning, but clever in their wordplay, clever yeah. in the way they. But that's true. Their dialogue is certainly much smarter. But than I mean, I mean, schoolers. but like Willow knows how to hack into the police. You know that that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the the central premise of the show is that Buffy Summers is contacted by the school prince or by the uh, by the school librarian Rupert Giles, who is actually a member of a group of people called Watchers. Um, the character occupied by Donald Sutherland in the movie. Um, and as a member of the Watchers, they are supposed to guide uh, guide the Slayers. Slayers and Watchers die and are replaced. Um, he is a replacement from her former Watcher, who is Donald Sutherland's character, and they acknowledge that that Watcher died. Um, she is a Slayer. Essentially, the idea is that there is a group of girls out there. We learn later that they are called Potentials. Um, and one of those, as one Slayer died, is uh, is 
like magically selected to. Uh, sorry, I'm giving gummy bears to Arthur. Gummy Enjoy. bears. Ma- magic and not just gummy bears, Harrible Gold Bears, sir. Mm. Best there can be. Um, sort of magically selected to be the next Slayer. Slayers never live very long. They never live into adulthood. They die very soon, and their their job is to the vampire slayer is a misnomer. It's they the the vampires and the demons and the forces of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it's it's monster of the week, and then the underlying bad guy. What the the first idea? The first time I ever really saw on a show, he's the big bad. Yeah, you know, there's I think that might have been the first time the term was really used. And he doesn't he he doesn't have something to do with every episode. Like their episodes have nothing to do with him and some episodes where he's pulling the strings. But he is like that. There are episodes where they just happen. Something pops out of the hell mouth or an Inca mummy girl shows up or, a, you know, but underlying there's the idea that, that he wants to rise and escape. Um, by the end of the first season, uh, we have. Uh, Buffy has has sort of accepted that begrudgingly accepted that she's going to be a slayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willow has expressed uh, has has expressed to Buffy that she has a crush on Xander. Xander has a crush on Buffy. Buffy doesn't have a crush on either one of them. Um, but oh, but that's because there is the there is another thing. another character I forgot to mention a a uh, young man uh, who shouldn't age and yet somehow inexplicably does mm-hmm. get eight years older over the course of these two shows. Um, and looks very, very, very different by the end. <laughs> his acting, and his act, thankfully, his acting talent yes. also looks very different by the end. Um, a young man who, when he was uh, in his native Ireland in the 16th or 1700s, was known as Liam, mm-hmm. um, who then got turned by the Darla that we met into an evil, murderous vampire named Angelus, mm-hmm. um, who uh, who made the mistake of of killing a gypsy family. And the father curses him uh, with his soul back. So he has the memories and the power and the thirsts and the dark desires of a, va- of a vampire, but with the conscience that comes with having a soul. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to find redemption. And he finds redemption by dating a high schooler. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great concept for a character. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things we have to look past, actually. One of the big things to look past is that really he's a child molester. Um, well, yeah, we have to sort of look. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you just have to accept. Although, the, to be fair, with the advent of Twilight, that has been made completely. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, unfortunately, and clearly rips off this relationship and does a pale imitation of of it. But it's the the whole idea: high school girl, the vampire who's too. It's just it's so already been done. And my, my favorite thing, I think, even Cordelia mentioned this at some point to Angel. But my favorite thing about it, it's. Sort of the the vampire who's been alive for three hundred years and never bothered to create an investment portfolio. Mm. So somehow, even after three hundred years, his resources are not that great. Um, you get to the end of the first season, and Angel and the rest of the the gang that she's with and Giles face off against the master who is ready to rise. And to the end of that episode, the master kills Buffy. Buffy dies. Mm-hmm. And then is brought back to life. That sets things in motion that will then become huge yes. on the show. Um, as that happens, she finally defeats the master. And the first season ends neat, neatly wrapping up the storylines that you've had while still having the turmoil among the characters. Mm-hmm. And it ends, as many episodes do, with some indie pop song 
Um, is this? No, she doesn't leave at the end of the first. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. Um, and credits roll, and executive producer by Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first season ends. My impression of the first season of Buffy, and this is what I honestly say to people, yeah, when they start Buffy, it was rocky. It oh, had it absolutely. had brilliance. It had the brilliance lied in the dialogue much of the time. It was finding itself. The di- but the dialogue was always snappy, and I I always appreciated that. But there mm-hmm. was there were some real clunkers and some stuff that really, if you hadn't made the bet with me, I would have turned away. Mm-hmm. I would have gone. This is the the level of stupid that this reached. I would have quit on it the way I quit on Dark Angel. Mm-hmm. Back when I was a big fan of Dark Angel, it was just too silly, mm-hmm. and there wasn't enough emotional resonance for me. But the final episode was really good. Yeah. So I dug it. I was like, okay, we're good. We start the second season. Immediately recognize that the production values have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the second season, where I realized I was hooked is that Buffy gets a chance to destroy the bones of the master. Oh, right. And when she does, she just loses it. Becomes emotional in ways that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And... I was floored. I was floored by the power of this and how much it affected me emotionally, which is more than the first season ever did. Also, there is a fundamental change in the behavior of the vampires in the beginning of the second season as a new bad guy comes into town with the greatest entrance in the history <laughs> the of ever. Greatest entrance ever. And in the most manly and awesome way he will ever be as he is the most masculine and most on top of his game and has not yet been undercut a thousand times. Mm-hmm. As he smashes into the Sunnydale sign, comes in, grabs the, the lackey to the master who is going to ascend to be the next one, the anointed one, calls him the annoying one, <laughs> puts him in a cage, puts him out in the sunlight, makes him burn, and goes, we're going to have a lot less, what he says, like a lot less ritual and a lot more fun. Yeah. And from that moment on, there was a, they wrote the vampires differently. The vampires were, were they were bikers. They were anarchists mm-hmm. a little bit. They're, it's true. They didn't follow like the old. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, well, what's interesting is they, uh, they that when, when you, they do flashbacks, more so in Angel, the show of Angel than in Buffy, when they do flashbacks, you get the sense that 300, 400 years ago, the vampires really did have this very almost Kabbalistic, traditional way of doing things. Except... Your lead vampires, because Darla and Spike and Drusilla and Angel just had fun. Yeah, they went out and they just destroyed and killed as a lark. It seemed like a lark, not a a casting a dark, dreary spell to escape from. You know, well, that was part of the whole point of what made Angelus so great. What at the time when Angelus was created, even the master was still the big vampire yeah. in town. And but in a way, almost he had a code. He had rules that he would yeah. follow. And jealous, what made him supposedly such a terrifying force was that I mean, he literally encapsulated the some people just want to watch the world burn, as well as Spike. Also, yeah. um, uh, interesting. I'm, I'm going to show my I'm going to show my true geek roots here and say like they. You were, just quoted the Dark Knight, by the way. Oh no, I'm getting even further in into geek roots here and saying that uh, alignment wise, the Master was lawful evil. Um, you know, but uh, both Angelus and Spike were very clearly chaotic evil. So. Until he be- Spike became chaotic good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll get there. Um, uh, Spike comes in with his crazy girlfriend Drusilla, who is also some kind of psychic. Mm-hmm. Spike, who in the in the episode School Hard, we find out that that Angelus was his sire, his Yoda. Mm-hmm. As he was, you are my Yoda, which again <laughs> I loved. 
Spike is a clear Billy Idol ripoff. Oh, totally. Absolutely. To the point where eventually he says that Billy Idol ripped him off, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, he is just there to be funny and do a bad Cockney accent and and be just great fun to watch. And he always is 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So it here starts whether you are a, a Spuffy or a Bangel in terms of, of, of who you want her to be with. Of course, that's not even an issue at this point. We meet Jenny Callender, who is um, the computer science teacher at the high school, mm-hmm. and we learn is a gypsy witch. And she starts encouraging witchcraft in young Willow Rosenberg. That's right. Who is starting to do little spells here and there. She is also deeply interested in Giles. Uh, Giles finally has a love interest, which is something you never thought of Giles. He's a fuddy-duddy. Mm-hmm. You know, he would never have any kind of love interest. There's nothing about him that is in any way dark or sexual. Um, uh, but yet here he is romancing her. Let's just cut to the chase. Um, Buffy. Oh, wait, one more new character. A character, young man named Oz. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Played by Seth Green. Famous Seth Green, the guy who runs Robot Chicken now. Mm-hmm. Um, producer... And Chris Griffin, Seth Green, um, and I—I I had known him as Scott Evil in yeah. in the. This and was so like one of his first big things. I was surprised to see him in this. Um, and well, it was interesting actually. I have a friend who uh, apparently Oz is. Um, I mean, this is not a huge thing. He turns out to be a werewolf. Yeah. Um, but the uh, I had a friend who noticed that there was a survey that was taken of like the top five werewolves in, I think, like television and film. And Oz was way up there. I think he was like number two. Wow. Um, and uh, so she actually tweeted Seth Green and said, hey, did you know that they just did this? And Oz is like one of the And he actually tweeted back and said, that's awesome. Like Oz is one of the favorite characters I've ever played in my life. Well, and and what is great about him is you think about him as Chris Griffin or Scott Evil. And of this... He barely talks. He's very yeah, quiet. He's very, his humor very is just dry. But he's funny. But his humor is dry. Um. Just cut into the chase because we have to get through the whole show. Um, Buffy and Angel are developing a deep, 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 passionate romance. Mm-hmm. And eventually she has sex with him. Mm-hmm. He is madly in love with her. And when he is with her, one in body, um, he experiences a moment of perfect happiness, which mm-hmm. is the twist we learn halfway through the episode is the other half of the spell. If he has a, perma- a moment of perfect happiness, he loses his soul again. Mm-hmm. He becomes Angelus. And this is where David Boreana showed he could act. Yes. Up to this point, I was not with him. Him as Angelus was is great. Amazing. Um, if you watch him now on Bones, from what you've told me, because I've never mm-hmm. seen Bones, if you took Booth and made him evil, that's Angelus. Yeah, I could see that. Um uh, he was just funny and and chaotic and and I'm with him and I'm and and the minute that happens he comes outside he's clearly evil he decides to emotionally torture Buffy for fun and the and the first thing and this is another thing that made the again going back to the high school theme what made this so good is the first thing he does he knows the thing that will um the thing that will hurt her the most oh he's like you were great yeah is literally because of course. Buffy has literally just given up her virginity to him. Yeah. And the level of vulnerability that you're at after that is insanely high. Um, And he very much did the whole, oh, yeah, I mean, 
you know, you could stand to learn a little bit, but yeah, 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 you were fine for a first time. Like there was yeah, this... Well, and, and the big thing is, right, because the show at this point is still an allegory for high school. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing that happens huge to girls deal. in high school. Yeah. Is they have guys who pursue them, pursue them, make them feel like they're top of the world. They get what they want. And then, and then they bail, leave. And they, they bail, bail and they become assholes. Yeah. And he becomes an asshole in the biggest way. Mm-hmm. And he proves how evil he is when he chases down poor Jenny Callender. Mm-hmm. And in the very first time of the show, which I did not see coming, just catches her because mm-hmm. everybody always gets away. He's chased yeah. people before and they've gotten away. He's always sort of defeated. Mm-hmm. He chases her down, grabs her by the chin and the top of her head, snaps her neck, takes her body to Giles's house, covers the house with rose petals, makes him think that he's coming in to finally consummate his relationship with her. And he finds her dead. That and, is some fucked up shit. Yo. Yeah. Um, and he... It is the first time, not the last time, that the show takes a character you're getting to know and rips them away from you when you didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. The great thing that Joss does, or some people say not so great thing, is he takes characters that 30 seconds later you expected to live. Mm -hmm. You had no idea they were going to be dead. And he kills them. Joss wrote Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones came out. Um well, it's it's the point now where where if Kelly and I watch something like if we watch, you know, Battlestar Galactica has its share of deaths. Mm-hmm. If a main character dies on Battlestar Galactica or died on Lost, Kelly and I would still say, "Damn it, Joss," <laughs> um, because that's what he does. And yes, you know, mini spoiler alert: he does it in Avengers. He mm-hmm. absolutely does it in Avengers. Or does he? Oh, he does. There's no Probably, problem. Yeah, yeah. He d- yeah. Like uh, that's why they have the new person, the new woman you've never heard of before. Oh, that's who, right. Yeah, it's like clearly you know who's showing up when they don't want to pay Samuel L. Jackson to show up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the show gets to the end, and they battle, and Spike becomes injured and is in a wheelchair and is immediately emasculated by Angel, mm-hmm. and um, and by the end kind of helps the Scoobies, the 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 group, you know, fight against Angel. And you have the first betrayal, I really feel, the first true betrayal of another main character. Right. Where where essentially they find a way to get Angel's soul back. And Xander is charged with telling Buffy to just hold him off because we're going to get his soul back. But Xander is so angry with Angel, always hated Angel, Mm -hmm. but now really feels justified in his hatred of Angel. And when he goes to tell Buffy that the soul is going to come back, he just basically says, go get him. Mm-hmm. go fight him kick his ass yep yeah i think that was the line mm-hmm. and buffy goes to fight angel and to basically sit he has opened up a portal that will destroy the whole world we're skipping over wonderful stuff like her blowing somebody up with a bazooka in a mall yeah um i mean just there's amazing stuff to cover but but uh when when she gets to him his soul is returned to him after he has already opened the portal, she was not focused on delaying that portal opening for just a couple minutes while his soul comes back to him. Mm-hmm. She's just focused on beating him. The portal opens and he gets his soul back. She realizes he has his soul back, but the only way to close the portal that will destroy the world is to kill Angel, to send him into it. And she says, close your eyes. And mm-hmm. she murders her boyfriend and sends him to hell. Yeah. Now, this is a far cry from just beating the master. You know, this is now... Suddenly, this is no longer just a ha-ha, lighthearted Because the show is a comedy. I would say it's a comedy as much as it's anything Very else. much so. It's, it's, it's silly and, and funny. And yet here, 
that emotional distance you felt like you had, it's gone. Interesting side note: the uh, the soundtrack. There's a there's a very iconic um, theme for Buffy and Angel. It's a piano theme. To the point that they carry it even like six or seven seasons later. Like, uh, yeah. Um, if Angel shows up, yeah, that's that. probably going to be there. But uh, um, I play piano occasionally, and so every now and then I I love downloading like uh, geek songs and seeing if I yeah. can work them out. Um, the name of the theme, uh, like on the sheet music, is called "Close Your Eyes." Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so Buffy leaves. Buffy bails. She just gets on a bus, drives to L.A. Sarah McLaughlin plays, and it's the end of the second season. And, and I, anytime a season ends with Sarah McLaughlin, you know it's. A- and I call, I call Arthur. Oh, that's right. And he goes, "So do I owe you fifty dollars?" <laughs> and damn it, damn it! <laughs> How can you quit then? How can you quit? But we do have to quit because that is the end of part one of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective with Arthur Rowan on Pop-Off. My name is Justin Timpain and you are listening to GeeksRadio.com. This is Pop-Off. Pop-Off, everybody. You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to Geeks Radio. Radio.com or searching Geeks Radio on iTunes. Geeks Radio is a presentation of Endlight Entertainment.